Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad Jesus saved you? Aren't you glad He delivered you? Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord one more time. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Mm-hmm. I think the praise team left early in case I was going to rip into something, so I'm t- Amen, amen. Well, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in this place and excited for all that He has in store for us. Amen? I believe that we are in a, a perfect shift of the Holy Spirit of what He's wanting to do that uh, will never stop until He comes. Amen? I believe that with all my heart. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I, I do want to get to the word, but I just want to say something that happened before I dismiss everybody here real quick. Um, it, it, I know Sister Nancy was asking some of the prayer teams about their, uh, how they're doing during this, this media fast and all. And I want to tell you some things that I'm experiencing just real quick. And one of those was Monday night, <clears throat> I saw, I told one person that I felt led to tell specifically, but for all of the Iron Men, as we begin to pray, we were all up around the front here. And Brian was, was getting the Holy Ghost, and God was touching him. I saw angels taking the words we were saying, and, and it was like they were taking them from our mouths and launching them like spears at what we were praying for with anointed accuracy. That's the word, that, the phrase that came to me, anointed accuracy. I believe God is doing some amazing things, okay? And, and I, I will tell you this, this... Fast that we're in, I, I think some of us are, are, and I'm hoping all of us are realizing that God is uh, taking us places and showing us things and revealing His Word. And if He's not, maybe you need to reevaluate what you're doing on this because I know God is ministering and I believe we're going to see greater things happen as we continue this. We're about the halfway point. We've still got another you know, 10 or 11 days or so, but I believe we're going to see some great things happen, okay? So let me say this, and, and I feel to give this caution here in the Spirit. Let me just say this, okay? The prophet got up, and after the Lord had spoke to him, he said, tomorrow there's going to be barley sold, and he gave her the price. I don't remember the price. This, this and that's going to happen. He didn't know that God was touching four lepers to get up and, and walk. But there was a, a, a man who was a, one of the lords in the, in the king's uh, court who doubted it. And the prophet turned to him and said, Sir, you will see it, but you will not partake. And he did. He indeed saw it, but unfortunately he was trampled to death. Now, I'm not prophesying anybody's death right now, but I'm going to say this. Be careful of, of, of a spirit that wants to creep in and say, well, he saw angels. Okay, big deal. I, I know it got sober all of a sudden here. But, but, but let me just pastor for just a minute and tell you, we, we better be cautious in our spirit because God is doing things. God is ministering and moving. And you may not see it, and that's okay. You don't have to. But you better believe that what I'm seeing is true. All right, well, praise God. There you go. There's your pastoral moment for the night. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I love you. Hallelujah. I know you love me. All right, children, love you. Teens, love you. How about we dismiss all those that are helping with the youth and the children's tonight? God bless you in Jesus' name. Well, praise the Lord. (laughs) Hi, friends. All right. And for everyone else, if you would join me, the book of 1 Peter chapter 13, we are going to continue our reaffirming the fundamentals series tonight. I hope it is blessing you. I trust that the word of the Lord is strengthening you. 
First Peter 1, verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And tonight, our lesson is, Be ye holy, for I am holy. As we continue our reaffirming the fundamentals. Jesus, we thank you for your word. It alone can save us, heal us, deliver us. You know every situation, struggle, need, person. You know everything. And your word is anointed and appointed for this moment. And I pray now that I would walk in your spirit and not in my flesh, saying only what you want to be said and nothing more or less. In Jesus' name, thank you for letting me minister to your church. Everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Be holy for I am holy. I want to first point out that there's a wherefore or a therefore, depending upon if you, you know, that's old English wherefore, but it's, it's therefore. And whenever you see that in scripture, it's referring to obviously what was just stated. Back in May of last year, I preached from verses 10, 11, and 12 as we were looking through the First Peter series, and dis- we discovered God's amazing grace and that the angels desire to look into what we have experienced. And in that, I want to open with that to say, if angels desire to look into this, how much more should we love the Word of the Lord? How much more should we enjoy the experience that we have had and allow it to manifest in our lives? Amen? Praise God. So that being said, I know you love the Word of the Lord. I know you love God's amazing grace. And I also know that you have a diligent passion to want to be holy as He is holy. So let's dive into this tonight and see what the Lord would say to us. First of all, let me say this. If it were impossible to be holy, Peter would not have quoted from Leviticus. There's three places, Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, 19 verse 2, and 20 verse 7. He would not have quoted that. Instead, those verses and, of course, what Peter said would be something like this. Hey, by the way, do your best, and I'm going to grade everybody on a curve. But that's not what Jesus said through both Moses and Leviticus and Peter in his first epistle. Instead, he said, be ye holy, for I am holy. So, again... He wouldn't tell us to be something if it were impossible for us to do that. Okay? If he said, be God, for I am God, well, that's impossible. We can't be God. And that's what got Eve in trouble when the serpent lied to her. You'll be like God. You'll be a God yourself. You know, that's, that's the, the, they call it new age today, but it's really old age. It's 6,000-year-old uh, philosophy. And, and so <clears throat> what we have to recognize is I want to be like him, and being holy can afford me that ability. And so again, I can be holy. Amen? All right. So the question then becomes, how are we holy? How do we become holy? How do we obey this command? How do we practice this, and how do we apply this scripture? Well, first of all, everybody say it starts in the mind. You have to change your mind. Notice what Peter says here. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first thing is to change your mind. Okay? Well, how do you gird up the loins of your mind? That's an old English phrase. That's an old uh, uh, idea. So how do we do that? Well, simply, it's preparing yourself for action. It's getting your mind made up that this is the right thing. I'm going to do this because it pleases God. I'm going to do this because, whatever that might be. Did you know that the battle to be holy and live holy begins in the mind, but so does every battle? In fact, the the converse is also true. Uh, Let me just use adultery, for example. Adultery doesn't start in the bedroom. It starts in the mind. 
Okay? And, and so, and, and other sins as well start in the mind. It, it's an action. You, you think it's okay. You, you justify it in your mind and then you do it or say it or whatever. It's the same. You can flip it back to the positive. It's the same. If I'll make up my mind, He wants me to be holy, I want to be holy then. Everybody say this with me. I can control my thoughts. All right, ready? Here's the next one. My feelings come from my thoughts. Now watch this. Therefore, I can control my feelings by controlling my thoughts. So how I feel about holiness is controlled by how I think about holiness. Okay? All of you in this room know I hate snow. Okay? All of you know that if the Lord would let me write Proverbs 32, verse 1, there's not Proverbs, there's only 31 Proverbs, but if He'd let me start the next chapter, Proverbs 32, verse 1 would be, He that loveth snow the most, shoveleth it the least. It would even be King James. Okay? Hallelujah. And so I have to change my mind if I want my feelings to follow. Are you with me? Okay. And by the way, that's not psychobabble. That's Bible. Well, the Bible says you can be renewed by the transforming, uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. That, that I, can, I can be renewed. I can come to God. Right? But, but listen to the whole of what those two verses say in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it from the New Living. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So again, it's not psychobabble, it's Bible. Then you will learn to know God's will for which, for which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The Bible tells us we can bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We find this in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, and that when we do, we can bring down those strongholds, we can cast down those imaginations when we ourselves fulfill that obedience and bring our own thoughts captive to Christ. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2, verse 5, that we can let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The context there talking about humility and humbling himself as a servant. We can do the same and be like Jesus. By the way, Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Giving us the hope that we can do the same thing despite temptation. The Bible tells us that we are to think on things that are true and honest and pure and just and lovely and of a good report. Think on those things. The Bible tells us that's Philippians 4.8. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, we can set our minds and seek those things that are above, not the things of the earth. So again, what I had you repeat after me earlier is not psychobabble junk. It's Bible. So therefore, in order to be holy as God is holy, I first have to change my mind. The reason I need to gird up the loin or prepare my mind, if you will, or, or, or change the way I'm thinking is because Jesus is coming. Literally in the verse, He is saying, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the reason I need to gird my mind and be ready for action is because He's coming and He's coming for a people that are obedient, verse 14, and who were holy, verse 15 and 16. You see that. By the way, if you remember last week when we talked about the new birth, one of the three words that describe salvation is glorification. That's what He's talking about in the last part of verse 13 there. Hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought to you the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the second coming of Jesus when the saints will be glorified. So why do I change my mind? So I can be ready to meet Jesus, so I can be holy and ready to meet Jesus, so I can practice what He's filled me up with. If you open your Bible or you're following along or taking notes, let's go to 2 Peter 3, verse 10. Now verse 9 tells us that He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Thank God for salvation and thank God for the, for the call to everyone. But look at verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So seeing that that's coming upon the earth, and we're going to talk about the Lord's coming next week, but seeing that he's coming, how should we live? How should we be holy? Right? Verse uh, uh, 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of our God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to get away from the sin-sick world we're in. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. Every bit of that is talking about holiness. It's the same thing. Why do I gird up my minds? Why do I want to be holy? Why do I need to change the way I think? Because Jesus is coming for a holy people. We see it again in 1 John 2, 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. That we are to be ready and have confidence and be ready to see Him when He comes and that those who are born of Him can be righteous through Him. Uh, and so we thank God for salvation. He's bestowed love upon us. Amen. He's coming again. He's going to change us into His likeness. Behold, He says, we are now the sons of God, but it does not appear what we shall be. And then He says in verse 3, and every man that has this hope. What hope? The hope of His second coming. What's He do? He purifies Himself. That's holiness. God's amazing grace. Turn with me to Titus 2, 11 through 14. I want to show you this. This is powerful. By the way, with what we started with the new birth, or excuse me, with the oneness of God, last week was the new birth, this week is holiness, next week the coming of the Lord. I want you to think about that as the four foundational principles of the Apostles' Doctrine. Okay? And I'm going to show you every bit of them in the next few verses we're about to see here. Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation. Everybody say new birth. Right? There, there's the first thing we see. Has appeared to all men. I'm glad he appeared to everybody. I'm glad it wasn't just for one group of people. But look what grace does. It doesn't just come to save me. Look at verse 12. It comes to teach me. To teach me what? To deny ungodliness. And worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Everybody say holiness. So we have new birth and holiness. Now, verse 13, because there's, there's a semicolon. It's still the same sentence, still the same context. Looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord, a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have the second coming, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the oneness. And just... Two verses, three verses, we've got all four principles, all four foundational, uh, fundamental principles. But then he comes back to it, verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. That's the new birth. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's holiness. So watch this. If you remove the oneness of God, if you remove the incarnation, well, then you also have to take away salvation. And if there is no God and there is no salvation, then guess what? I mean, what's there to be holy? If, if, if there's no God he's, and He's not holy, then why should I be, right? And if that's the case, He's not coming back. So to take away one takes away all. In other words, you can't just look at one and, and make it your, your hobby horse or your candy stick and say this is the one and it's the supreme and, and no other matters. No, they all are interlocked and woven together. If you remove holiness, you miss the second coming. If you remove holiness, then you're not practicing why you were saved. You weren't just saved to say, hi, I'm saved, and wear a big you know, sticker on your, your, your lapel. Hi, my name is Myron, and I have the Holy Ghost. You were saved to be holy. And so it, you, you unravel any thread, and all of it comes undone. That's why the psalmist said the foundations can be destroyed. So, amen. All right. One more passage I want to show you is 1 John 2, 15-17, talking about changing our mind. He says, love not the world, 
These are the things that are in the world. That kind of applies, especially right now during this media fast. I can't tell you how many times I've grabbed my phone and I've started to open Facebook. And I did the other day, and I'm like, what am I doing? I delete it real quick and throw it away. What am I thinking? It's habit. You know, and I had to take my finger and, hey, stop it. Right? But you know what? Can I be honest and not, I hope this doesn't offend anybody that's really ready to be over with this past, but I, I, don't, I haven't missed it. I really, you know, honestly, I mean, yes, for the sake of seeing some of my family and friends and what they're celebrating, sure, but, you know, there's also, I can talk to them, you know, I don't have to wait till Facebook posts it and tells me what they're having for dinner, you know, I can call them and say, hey, what are you having for dinner? You know? Anyway, I'm not trying to be corny, what I'm trying to say is, love not the things of this world. This has helped me to get back to a place of, you know what, I want to make sure I'm, I'm Loving this above all things. If any man love the world, watch this, the love of the Father is not in him. I think of Lot's wife when I think of this. Don't turn back. One, just like Eve, one commandment. Just like Adam, one commandment and they broke it. Don't turn back. What she do? She turned back. When, when Luke records this and records Jesus talking, he, he uh, shares it in relation to ha- loving this world's goods and the things of this world. I'm concerned that some people are so happy with their best life now that they're not looking for their eternal life. Hey, I'm thankful for every blessing God gives me on terra firma. But honey, I am not staying here forever. This is not my permanent residence. Why? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Watch this. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Oh, I might die on this planet. I might be buried in the ground on this planet. But there's coming a day when the dead in Christ rise first. Amen? And I'm going to abide forever. So change your mind about holiness. The second thing we do is change your manners. Let's go back to 1 Peter 1, verse 14. As obedient children. God's love language is obedience. Okay? As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your enemies. In other words, don't go back to the sin He brought you out of. Don't return to, to the, as Proverbs talks about, the vomit. Don't be like those dogs that return to the vomit. Verse 15, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. This literally means all manner of life, conduct, behavior, deportment, everything from the inside and out. It's why it connects to 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, which says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And, I, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father Unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, watch chapter 7, verse 1, because the context continues. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, what promises? That He's going to walk with us and in us, that He's going to be our Father, that we're going to be His children. Those are the promises. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, somebody say outward, and spirit, somebody say inward perfecting, that means to bring it to completion, completing holiness in the fear of God. So I changed my manners. You see, if if this side over here by the drums is justification, God saves me from that that penalty of sin. I, I deserve death. But He doesn't just save me to leave me here. As I begin walking with Him in sanctification, He is saving me from 
the power of sin. I'm becoming like Him, looking forward to glorification when I will be in His presence forevermore, saved from the very presence of sin. That's what perfecting holiness is talking about. And so it's inward, it's outward. I would even go as far as say it's inward first. You know, the old chorus we used to sing, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. You see, it's, it's like this. Think of it like the first six letters of the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F. It's attitude, behavior, communication, dress, everywhere, forever. I'm not just holy when I'm here on Wednesdays. I'm not just practicing holiness when I'm at, you know, Nebraska conference or general conference or if I come over to your house for dinner or we meet for supper somewhere, you know. No. It's everywhere. It's always. It's, it's forever. Being holy affects everything I am and everything I do daily. I want His Holy Spirit to lead and guide me into all truth. First of all, that's the truth about who I am in Him. But also all truth as it pertains to what He likes and dislikes. Amen? And in, and in His Word is where His truth is buried. And in Himself, the mystery of God, is where He buries all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. So I want to get to know Him and be like Him so that I can learn these other things. Anybody remember 2009? 15 years ago, anybody remember that? Yeah, a few of you, come. Some, all of you I think are, might be a couple young ones in here tonight, but most of, how many of you, your kids all weren't, you know, anyway, never mind. Hallelujah, boy, it makes me feel old, don't it? 2009, did you know in 2009, Brother Joe, you'll love this, iPhone came out with a 3G. I mean, wow. You know, and, but they came out with this really catchy jingle because they had, created all these different apps, and, and the commercial was, oh, you need to do this and that? There's an app for that. Getting people away from having all these multiple uh, gadgets. You know, interestingly enough, today, this is my, uh, you know, telephonic device where I can call people. Uh, this also is a computer. I can type on here. This is my alarm clock, and I did the update last night. Now I have a journal on here. I mean, I have a wallet in here. I can, I can actually go to a counter and hold my phone out and pay for stuff. I mean, you know, this is really... Before long, I'll be driving one of these, I think. I don't know. Maybe. You know, the iPhone, you know, Tesla version. I don't know. But there's an app for that. Have you been to the app store lately and seen... And even on that subpar droid... Sister Nancy, you know, they've even got an app store, right? It's amazing. There's an app for that. Well, in the same likeness of there's an app for that, I'd like to say the reason we are holy inward and outly is because there's Bible for that. So what we do and why we do it, there's Bible for that. Okay? Tithe. Did you know tithe is holy? The Bible says it three times, or, or excuse me, twice. Once in Leviticus and once in 2 Chronicles. Tithe is holy. So giving it to the Lord, and we'll talk about spiritual disciplines later more in, in detail in February, but giving our tithe to the Lord is holy. As we add offerings with it and, and give our offerings faithfully and cheerfully, God blesses according to His Word. Did you know loving one another, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, is not just uh, well, the fruit of the Spirit is a, a New Testament, but loving your neighbors yourself is a, is a law principle from Leviticus? Jesus merged it together and said, when you do this, when you show that love, you show you're my disciples. We have Bible for loving others. We have Bible, and that's holy. It's being like Jesus. In fact, I would dare say to you that the, the greatest test of Christianity is not loving Jesus, but loving Judas. Because anybody can love Jesus. 
Sister Kiara, even when he's this sassy Jesus, like G, you were telling me about tonight. Anybody can love Jesus, but can you love your Judas that's going to betray you? That's the test of Christianity. Can you love your enemy? That's holiness. We have a Bible for that. Gender distinction in our clothing and our modest dress is holy, and we have Bible for that. It starts in Genesis in the garden. They basically put on a pair of underwear, fig leaves. It didn't cover very much. God had to make them coats of skin, giving us His measurement of modesty. It jumps into the law where He says, if a man wears what a woman wears, and a woman wears what a man wears, it's an abomination. And so people that try to say, well, that's just in the law. And the law was fulfilled. Well, Abominations weren't. That's an abomination. Because it goes against God's gender distinction. God made male and female. I know society and I know so-called science has created 103 genders. But they're confused. And God's not the author of confusion. God created male and female. And that's why in the New Testament, when God addresses clothing specifically to women... We see a gender distinction in how we... We have Bible for that. I'm not saying this to be ignorant. I'm not saying this to pound the pulpit and you're going to hell if you do this or that. I'm trying to show you that what we do and why we do it is because there's Bible for that. God cares about what we wear. God even cares about our hair. 1 Corinthians 11. It's why our men cut their hair. Why our women don't? There's Bible for that. Man, it's getting quiet. I think people are afraid I'm going to start airing laundry lists. I'm not. But I'm telling you, there's Bible. If, if you think alcohol and drugs are something you need to do, you probably ought to read Proverbs 23 beginning at verse 20 to the end of the chapter and, and see what it says about that. Because <laughs> it's not good. Worldly allurements and lifestyles. I've already read 1 John 2, the things of this world. I don't want to be a part of that. You see, holiness is not a burden. It's a blessing. Again, going back to changing our mind. I know we're talking about changing our manners, but... It's, it's a blessing. Living holy is not an obligation. It's an opportunity to reflect the light and love of Jesus. Being holy is not about regulations, do's and don'ts. It's about relationship with Jesus. You've heard me use this example before, but it, it bears repeating and I don't mean to be redundant and not come up with new stories but I am wearing my wife's favorite color tonight blue okay I guarantee you if, if, if I won the powerball I don't play but if, if I did and I played and I won and, and I you know went and bought all new suits you know if I bought 10 of them she'd want nine of them to be blue and that's okay because she loves blue and she likes me in blue and I want her to be happy well in that same principle I want Jesus to be happy Amen? So when I change my mind and I change my manners to reflect Jesus inwardly and outwardly, I perfect, I complete holiness in the fear of God. By the way, that, that another verse talks about following peace and holiness with all men, without which no man shall see the Lord. I want people to see Jesus in me, and I want them to see Him when He returns and go to heaven with Him. So... I'm going to follow peace and be holy. You see, our divided world needs a united church. Our unholy society needs a holy church. I've already mentioned it, but in a society that is confused about gender, we need a church and believers to be abundantly clear about God and His Word. 
Another good reason to be holy and, and change our manners is because we have a lot of little eyes in the kids' wing and downstairs that are watching us. And children are great imitators, so let's give them something great to imitate. Amen. Thank you. Yes, amen. So, we change our mind, we change our manners, and thirdly, we change our mission. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Why do we live holy inwardly and we? Because we belong to Jesus. Again, think about how it's worded. It's not be ye holy and just ended, Sister Jackie. He says, be ye holy for I am holy. You know what that's saying? Brother Jeff, can I use you for a minute? Stop at the, at the bottom if you would. It, it, it's Jesus saying, I want you to be with me and like me. So be ye holy as I am holy. In other words, I want to bring you to where I am. I want to bring you from the depth of despair, sin, ugliness, darkness, to where I am. Be holy as I am holy. So, thank you. So being holy means I'm like Jesus. Which is why, again, it affects inward and outward. Amen? The Pharisees had it outwardly, but inwardly they were dead men's bones. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be outwardly holy. We should be both. It's not either or, it's both and. If I look the part on the outside, but I have a bitter heart or a prejudiced heart, I'm not holy. If I look the part on the outside and talk in tongues, and yet I, I, I cuss and swear and call you all kinds of names, is that holy? I don't think so. Right? If, if, if I'm holy on the outside, but I'm jealous because, you know, you got something and I didn't, and I'm envious and covet it, am I holy? No. So it's both. I've got to change my manners, but I've got to change my mission because I want to become like Him. Okay. Let's go back just a minute to last week. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Watch this. Justification makes you right with God. Right or righteousness made just, right? Sanctification makes you holy like God. So I'm right with Him at justification. I'm holy like Him at sanctification. And what, guess what glorification does? I'm eternal with Him. That's why holiness is important. And that's why you can't separate it from the oneness or from the second coming or from salvation. Pride is anti-holy. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resist the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore to God resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now we often take just the first, uh, second verse, verse 7 that I read, but if we, if we look at all of it I'm about to read, we're going to see something here. He then says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And we love that part of verse 8. But then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. In other words, submission is not just to, to cause the devil to flee, but to put us in submission to God's will. I don't want Satan to have any hold on my life whatsoever. I don't want pride to root in my spirit. I don't want bitterness to root in my spirit. I don't want anything. And so again, God's not going to tell me to do something that would be impossible for me to do. He would not tell me to be holy if I could not do it. So whether it's an inward attitude change or an outward lifestyle change, it is possible to be holy. After all, doesn't the Bible say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Okay. Society would have you to believe that you have to be like the world to win the world. But this mindset is a lie. God has called you to be holy as He is holy. 
He's called you to be separate and live a sanctified life. That, mean God, that means God wants you to separate from profane things and dedicate and consecrate yourself to Him. Did you know the world and, and the people we work with and live by and, and, and come in contact with are looking for an authentic experience? They're tired and frustrated with those churches who attempt to appease everyone. They desire truth in love. Therefore, the best way to influence your community for Christ is to be different. Transformed, not conformed. Biblical distinctions that I've just laid out here tonight and that, that many of us are, are aware of are not hindrances to reach our community or to love them, but rather they are leveraged when we leverage them through God to impact others for the kingdom of God. God doesn't want us to copy the behaviors and customs of this world. So if we fail to be different from the world, we'll never make a difference in the world. God gave us a new heart at salvation. A new mind, a new way, a new destiny. And so we have to operate according to different standards and perspectives on money, on lifestyle, and on relationships. God wants our thoughts and our affections and our behavior to be distinct, to be like Him. He wants your priorities, pursuits, and passions to be different. If you're putting more in effort for a career or education or politics or anything than you are for God, that thing has become an idol. We are to be anti-culture, influencing our community for the kingdom of God. We need to ask ourselves, is it wise? I want to be wise. Read through the book of Proverbs and look at the contrast between the fool and the wise. The scorner and scoffer and those who are righteous. And you'll see, you don't want to be that group that's foolish and scorning and mocking. You want to be the group that's wise. Remind yourself of the antithesis between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. Much of what the world esteems as wise, God considers foolish. You see, being in style with God means being out of style with the world. Therefore, we need to be very critical regarding the things of this world that some so quickly embrace under the guise of evangelism. You see, many Christians insist that in order to reach the world and appeal to the culture, I have to be attractive to the world. They zealously strive to look like the world, talk like the world, sound like the world, and act like the world, and endeavor to make the church feel like the world. With this fervor that they have, these, these charismatic ministries orchestrate efforts according to the tastes of the world. They ask what the world would like and they give the world what they think the world wants their actions and attitudes become guided and shaped by cultural trends and gimmicks instead of God's truth we've seen the introduction of relevance that has come into the ideology whatever is in fashion and Whatever is cool and appealing to the world, let's, let's do it. That's more important than being theologically sound. But in following such a course, these people inadvertently communicate they have nothing unique to offer. Nothing deeply spiritual or profoundly transforming. You see, God calls us to live in contrast to our culture because in this world, we are His representative. Do you know the Bible calls you ambassadors for Christ? 
Do you know from that language in the Bible, as even what we understand it today, even in Western culture with ambassadors from the United States, they cannot act according to their own ways and ideas and ideologies and all. They have to represent the President and the United States wherever they go. And equally, we must realize that we are here as ambassadors to represent Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Our privilege and our responsibility is to God is to be His people in a world that has abandoned Him. Therefore, we make a difference by being different, not by being the same. Don't be afraid to stand up and stand out for God's Word. Because when you do, God will always stand with you. You might go through the fiery furnace, but He'll be there with you too. Because God has set you apart for a holy purpose. Grace doesn't just come to save you. I, I brought that out earlier. It comes to teach comes to teach us how to be holy. So let me present this to you. I want you to think about this sentence. To only accept grace in salvation from sin, but ignore its lessons on living holy, is to be incomplete and unholy. Can I read that again? Okay. I was going to anyway, but I figured I'd ask to be nice. So thank you. If you, if you didn't want me to read again, I apologize, but I'm going to anyway. To only accept grace and salvation from sin, but ignore its lessons on living holy, is to be incomplete and unholy. So, let me ask you a question. A few, actually. Will you let grace be your teacher and obey its lessons? Will you choose to submit to God and deny all ungodliness and worldly lusts? Will you choose to live soberly and righteously and godly, reflecting His light in a dark, sinful world? Will you eagerly anticipate His second coming and put all of your hope in Him being holy as He is holy? Did you know that God's salvation was before the world? But did you know that its purpose was to make you holy? Well, let me prove it. Go with me to Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5. Ephesians 4, uh, excuse me, chapter 1. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. According as He hath chosen us in Him... Before the foundation of the world, that's salvation. We know before He's a creator, He's a Savior. But watch, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So, why did He save us? To make us like Him, to be holy. God didn't save you to do what you want to do. God saved you to be holy and blameless in love. In 1 Chronicles 16.29, the Bible says, Give the Lord glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That phrase literally means in holy attire. So worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness includes what I wear. In Psalm 96 verse 9 it says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let me say this, and, and, and I, I say this to, to hopefully I've echoed it from a beautiful standpoint. Unfortunately, there are those that preach holiness from a militant, dictatorial mindset. I don't preach it that way. I don't teach it that way, and I hope you've received it 
in the love that I have presented it tonight. It's beautiful. It's not ugly. Holiness is beautiful. Years ago, Jackie, do you remember we went, you, me, Shane, and a bunch of us went to Carmen, Shane and all that at, at Portland? Well, around that same time, it was in the mid-90s, um, and Carmen had gone on a 21-day fast. And when he came out of that fast, he and Scott Brown uh, wrote some songs, and one of the songs Carmen wrote was this. I'm just going to sing the chorus as we close tonight. Lord, I hunger for holiness and I thirst for the righteousness that's yours that my mind would be cleansed and my spirit renewed and this temple that you dwell in would be pure. God gave him the words to that song after a 21-day fast. God also told him to stop charging for concerts, and he did. And I believe if I had my statistics correct, he still holds the record for most people to attend a concert, it was in Dallas, 76,000 people at a single concert for a Christian artist. Point being, not to highlight anything he did or whatever he's passed on now, but this song has resonated with me the last week as I've prepared this message. I've had it on repeat on my phone quite frequently. Of course, there's verses to it as well, but that's my desire to be pure to be renewed, to be cleansed because He dwells in me and I want to be a temple that He wants to dwell in. And I believe you do too. So let's stand together. I do want to remind everyone that next Wednesday I'll be preaching on the coming of the Lord, but then on the final Wednesday of January we will have a panel discussion. So if you have questions, uh, already two or three, maybe four have come in. Um, the youth are going to join us on that night, as well as our student pastors. But we're going to have, I'm going to moderate, and we're going to have some questions and answers based upon this. And then I'll resume teaching in February on spiritual disciplines related to, again, reaffirming the fundamentals of who we are and why we are and what we do, and, but most importantly, why we do it. And so that's what I want to uh, highlight on. So, amen. I love you. Appreciate you. One last thing I want to announce is this. Uh, this weekend we've got the um, Kecks coming, Jeff and Aaron Keck. He's a great friend, great man of God, and they are planting right now three churches in northwest Missouri and a couple of other preaching points around them. They call them home groups, home two groups, I think. But anyway, they're planting in there. They're, he's going to be preaching for us on Sunday. Sunday will just be one service. It'll be just 1030. At 1030 we will open with you know, the, the announcements, the offering, go right into the songs, and he's going to preach. So there won't be a 10.30 and an 11.30 service. It'll be just the one service. We, we talked about this as a leadership team. To, um, when we have special speakers like this, to do that, to give them more freedom. Typically, our pastoral team only preaches about 20 minutes in the second service, the worship service. I don't expect a guest evangelist to come in and do that. So I want to have them more time and more freedom, okay? So if you show up late, just know you're going to show up and, and uh, it'll already be going and you might have missed something. So be here uh, on time, uh, Sunday, 1030. Of course, if it's weather, uh, we will announce if there's anything that we're doing to change that. But even if you don't feel comfortable, thank you for all of you that are texting and letting me know. I appreciate that. We're not worried that you're stuck in the snow somewhere or on the road somewhere, stranded. Um, we appreciate that. But if you can be here, we want you to be here and we're going to worship together. Amen. God bless you. I love you. You're the best church in the world.